you know, my, my mindset was always, and I, I don't think I've ever changed. I think people, you know, we, we learn new things and we try to apply them, but ultimately, uh, and I, and I've learned this as, as a parent now of, uh, a little boy and a little girl, and you're going to be born with certain pieces to you, your attitude, your, your, your mental makeup, right. Is going to be very specific to you. You're, you know, just like your DNA is right. It's you. And, uh, and I think for me, the, the biggest thing that I went into is I wasn't always the most confident. You know, I was scared of throwing a bad pass or I was scared of, I remember I tell people my first throw in the NFL, I actually skipped the ball to Peyton and we were 10 yards apart. I was nervous. And, uh, and I, and I laughed it off like it was a joke, but I actually skipped it 10 yards apart. <laughs> I might as well have shot, put it to him. But ultimately for me, I always just thought if you, Give me the ball. I'm going to make something good happen. Welcome to 90% Mental and the In and Out of the Pocket podcast series with all-pro quarterback Jake the Snake Plumber and mental performance coach Grant Parr where the mental game is discussed and discovered by the best quarterbacks and offensive-minded professionals in the business, from celebrating mental wins to actionable mental skills strategies and more. You'll learn how to mentally navigate in and out of the pocket. Today in the pocket, Jake and Grant sit down with Adam Tefralis, former NFL quarterback, to discuss how he managed his ego to perform at the professional level and how important it is to invest into preparation to experience next-level confidence. Adam shares a unique perspective on how today's technology and analytics will enhance a quarterback's mindset and overall development. ReadyList Sports is the future of sports playbooks with its digitized integration of multiple learning styles that helps coaches teach better and players learn more efficiently. Engineered by former professional quarterbacks, ReadyList Sports' revolutionary play drawing tool will save coaches countless hours creating plays. ReadyList Sports also provides the players accessibility to study their playbooks using the ReadyList Sports app for iOS and Android. It's like having the playbook in your pocket. The best part of ReadyLists are the auto-generated tests the players take after studying that help ensure retention of your plays. Now let's all huddle up and go visit ReadyListSports.com. Welcome back to the In and Out of the Pocket podcast with Jake the Snake Plumber and Grant Parr, myself. We're super excited to, to bring the show to you because we're going to be bringing on quarterbacks, uh, offensive coordinators, and head coaches to talk about the mental game and how you can improve your mental game within this sport. Yeah, like Grant said, this is Jake the Snake here. We're excited to uh, just pick the brains of successful quarterbacks, whether they went on and won Super Bowls or whether they just were that field general at their college or high school and now field general in life, they got a lot to share and a lot that can transfer to how to key in on, you know, life's big moments because quarterbacks, Grant, you know this, I know this. We're not afraid to lose, man. We're going to exactly. come out here firing. You give me the ball in my hand. I'm going to rip it. I don't care if it's <laughs> into the game. We're down by 30. And we got 25 seconds. I think we can win. So let's go get one today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with that being said, 
I want to introduce our guest today. His name is Adam Trafalis, who is an incredible entrepreneur, but also was an incredible quarterback for San Jose State University, also played uh, in the NFL and also in can- Canadian football as well. And Adam, how are you, man? Thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Beautiful. Well, I want to I want to set the tone for the show. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot about the mental game and mindset. And I usually don't start the show off with three questions, but I'm going to throw one at you here, Adam. So here's a three-part question about mindset. How would you describe your mindset when you played football? What fueled your mindset? And how has that mindset changed life after football? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Go right yeah. into it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, my my mindset was always, and I, I don't think I've ever changed. I think people, you know, we, we learn new things and we try to apply them, but ultimately, uh, and I, and I've learned this as, as a parent now of, of uh, a little boy and a little girl, and you're going to be born with certain pieces to you, your attitude, your, your, your mental makeup, right. Is going to be very specific to you. you you know, just like your DNA is right. It's you. And, uh, and I think for me, the, the biggest thing that I went into is I wasn't always the most confident, you know, I was scared of throwing a bad pass or I was scared of, I remember I tell people that my first throw in the NFL, I actually skipped the ball to Peyton and we were 10 yards apart. I was nervous. And, uh, and I, and I laughed it off like it was a joke, but I actually skipped it 10 yards apart. <laughs> I might as well shop put it to him. But ultimately for me, I always just thought if you, give me the ball. I'm going to make something good happen. It might not be pretty. I didn't think of it in a glamorous way. I thought of it as I am willing to do more than you, whatever that is every single time. So even if it's run the ball and get my head knocked in 50 times in a row, I'm going to go 51 and you're going to quit. Right. That, that always led me into a position that allowed me to block out the negative because my neg- your your negative towards me was always pretty similar. I'm a six foot one, you know, kind of thick bodied quarterback. I used to joke with people. I used to say it's a, I was the beta version of Tim Tebow, right? The same body type, just only six one, not six four, and <laughs> right. right, good leadership skills. But I wasn't winning national championships. So, um, but that same type of, just give it to me and let's go, and I'll and I'll do whatever I have to do for you, with you. Um, and that, those are the kind of the things that fuel me. And then post-career, you know, the, the, the cool part about that is, is what it really led me to is, is understanding consistency. I got a, I got an opportunity to play for a really great coach in, in Dick Tomey, who, uh, who we actually, we lost last year, uh, to cancer and, and, and Dick was this unbelievable man in so many aspects of life and coaching. And you walk into the room and everything just changes didn't say a word, but everything changed, right? Um, A true leader. And everything that he always talked about was consistency. And he said, the guys that I respect the most are the guys that know how to show up every day and give me exactly what they have. And those are the people that are going to be successful. And so as I've understood that that's kind of the mold that I fall into um, and how I can find success as an adult, and a father and a husband and a entrepreneur, or a businessman, right? I, I tell everybody is that, listen, you're going to get all of me every single time. 
and I'm going to be exactly the same guy every day, whether we fight, whether we disagree, whether we are right on par. Um, but with that, we're going to be able to build off of it because I feel that that foundation is something that allows you the opportunity to grow. Right. And so, um, always growing, always learning, always trying something new, but it built on a foundation of just being consistent mindset of, of how you're going to work and, and what you're going to show up like, if that solves that, okay. that answers all three of those. That's totally. Very well said. Dick Tomey was an amazing coach. Uh, definitely sad to lose a guy like that. Um, he was an adversary right down south from us at ASU, but I got to meet him and sit on a panel with him. And like you said, there's a calm air. There was a calm air about him that was like this fatherly figure that you just wanted to be better for and to excel. And like, as soon as he walked in, you kind of go, okay, all right, I'm good. Make sure you didn't have anything out of place. And he just felt like such a solid dude. And a lot of these coaches, these old school coaches are definitely like that. They've carried themselves with consistency and made it happen every day. Um, how do you feel uh, in today's fast-growing sports scene? <clears throat> what do you think about this youth movement with coaches? I mean, you're involved in football. You're coaching your, your boys' flag football team, and you're doing some stuff in that arena. Why the youth movement? And, and do you think these coaches are flashes in the pan? Or are they going to be able to sustain and have careers like a Dick Tillman? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what you're going to see, and I think you're seeing it, um, you know, you take somebody like, uh, I, I'm here in San Jose, so, right, you're going to take Shanahan, right, who grew up, or McVay. Yeah. A lot of the, the, the coaches that are coming up still came up uh, with some kind of strong football background that is a, you know, a, a major mentorship. Um, and they learned from people that were, they use this term all the time, of, of uh, thermostat or thermometer. Right. Are you do you dictate the heat? Right. Do you or do you change the heat? Do you just tell me what's going on yeah. or are you changing what's going on? And so I think when you take that and then you apply the analytics of today is how you end up with a Shanahan or a McVeigh. Right. Or if you trickle all the way down to college is that people are understanding how to break up um, because it's not bang your head against the wall anymore equal success it's you know three yards in a cloud of dust it's just not that football because it doesn't have to be i think for a long time football had to be a certain way um and you still see it in high school a lot right just because uh the the buyback into high school hasn't been you know it's not a financial money maker and it's hard to live in in the world that we live in and so the buyback so you see a lot of the hey it's just easy to teach wing wing t that's what we're going to do Right. Because it's just bang your head. Everybody, you know, everybody fall forward. And one guy is going to, you know, come from five yards further back than everybody else. Right. right. Versus, hey, I need the analytics say that I need this split. I need this breaking point. I need this drop. And I need that throw against this coverage. That, that gets a little bit harder to teach a, a 15 or 16 year old. Right. But as you start scaling to older generations, I just think. I think the the science of it and the the math of it is going to start making players so much better and smarter and last longer. And um, football, I mean, I, I'm excited about the growth of football. 
uh, and, and I'm a quarterback, you know, just like you, I love running the ball though. You know, I'm still, uh, I get that question a lot. What's, you know, I'm sure Jake, you get this all the time. What's your offense. If you get to set your offense, yeah. what's your offense. Right. And I'm to this day though, as much as I love all of that, I mean, I'm running a 12 personnel offense. I, yeah. I want two tight ends. I, I, I love Stanford. Who doesn't love Stanford and, and how they run their stuff. <laughs> Right, I get LSU. intellectual get brutality is what they call it. <laughs> yeah, but but there's there's an aspect of it, uh, and I'm sure Grant will talk about this. But I mean, there's just such a cool aspect about how the mental and physical side of football. I was listening to a study recently that talked about this. Is that um, dug way, way down in our DNA based on, on how we, you know, evolved as human beings and, and fighting for your food, fighting for your family, fighting for your life. Football is one of the only places that your brain actually finds ease because it, it starts to tap into what was thousands of years of natural selection within that. Right. Right. And, and it is, and it is a place that, you know, uh, before we started the podcast, you even said, I didn't know that I was going to roll to the left and rip a 35 yards because your brain just did it because you were in chaos and you were, I can't control the outside factors, but I know how to win. And this is what's going to happen to make me win. Right. And, and I, I, so, mean, I, I love that, that aspect of it. Yeah. And when you speak that you're talking like such a natural thing, like such a, such a uh, going back to you know, you're talking coming out of a cave and chasing down animals to live, right? And football mm-hmm. allows that. Then how are we going to mesh that and what it does to the brain to find ease with the mindset of you know data says we should not go for it right now on on fourth and two, so let's not go for it when you know data can come in and all of a sudden your natural abilities that you had that were transmitter of positivity even though you knew like man this could not go right you still transmitted that hey i will make something good happen 50 out of 50 times okay the 51st time i'm making it happen how do we mesh that and if to me i feel like data is going to just burn out eventually or maybe not i might be totally wrong because what you're saying is with the studies that football does and provides to people is, is finding that ease but is that for the player only or are the coaches, the little data robots, but then like, then let's help these players. Oh yeah. I, find the, the, the yeah, I think there's such a human, there's, there's still such a human need, right? I don't think you're ever going to find a winning team that's run by uh, AI. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because Not there yet. is, there is the human effect of feel and situation that, that will scale beyond what, analytics will analytics will ever tell you right there is the human i feel this moment based on our energy based on the crowd based on practices prior faith in your playmaker right the guy with the ball right i i just know you know you know you you you're in you're in a four minute drill and you know that hey i'm just dying this clock out right and and a player makes a play for you that you didn't expect and you guys get a longer run or you get a uh, a, a nice you know what was going to be an easy completion right really turns into a oh man he's feeling it right now 
coach might go, okay, we're going to jump out of four minute because we're going to score real quick. And that's, and that's just what we're going to do. We're just going to keep running this thing up. And you change your strategy yeah. just based in that second because your receiver or your running back said, give me the ball. And what you know about that person and what you know about your offensive line, looking at you going, give him the ball. We got his back. <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't think that ever changes. I think analytics, you know, will, will enhance, you know, what the, what the play calling structure or, you know, you think about, I mean, Pat, if Patrick Mahomes doesn't go for that deep ball in the Super Bowl and just chuck it up after a 14-step drop, <laughs> but he yeah. knew that was going to come open. Based, on, I mean, that's a true mesh of analytics. Hey, we've been doing this like this. You have to wait for it to last this long, right? And I'm going to tell you, you can throw it without even knowing because he's going to be in the right area. Right. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a true mesh of it wasn't clean. It wasn't exactly how you would draw it, but I bet you anything that Mahomes and Andy Reed and their, I don't think Andy Reed was calling the, the plays. They have, a, they have an OC as well. Um, they would all say that was getting completed and that was going to be the changing factor of the game. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's like mm-hmm. the place that they, that they meet, right. Feel talent and uh, structure or, or uh, evolution of the game, which is ultimately like that comfort zone. You want to live as much in that comfort zone as you possibly can. So you are in a mindset to be able to, to make those calls or to make that throw. I mean, the minute he doubts his arm, he doesn't make that throw. Right. So he's in some kind of place where he's like, yeah, I can throw this. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, I mean, I think we've all been there at some point. It might not be that 60-yard throw backpedaling, but we've all been in a situation where we're like, I got this. Yeah. <laughs> and th- this is a perfect segue because you you train a lot of young quarterbacks. You do a lot of work, awesome work with quarterbacks. You know, and, and just what you were talking about, um, you know, mental. I call them mental traps. Whenever you second-guess yourself or you're focusing on the wrong things or you're focusing on stuff that's out of your control – so, you know, with your experience working with all these today quarterbacks, what kind of mental traps do you see quarterbacks are getting into? Um, you know, that's a, that's a good question. The, the, the first thing that really happens, and I, I come across this a lot as a, so I, I work in consulting, right? So whether it's startup companies or venture capitalists or, uh, um, you know, I've, I've worked for Nike, I've worked, any, any group that I'm going to help out, um, one of the things that, that I really focus on in terms of, of that is don't teach the kid to be smarter than the coach. Teach the kid to solve his problems to make the coach's life easier, right? Because we've all played with that guy that goes to the coach and goes, yeah, but my coach said, you know what I mean? When, the minute you start to identify that somebody else is smarter than the guy that you're working for or playing for, you're not going to get much out of that guy or that guy's not going to trust you much. Right. And so a, a lot of the stuff that, that I really focus on is just, Hey, how can we help you solve the problem? Right. We know that there's a problem. How can you solve it without going point the finger? Hey, there's a problem or, Hey, you don't know. Hey, hey we can't do that. Cause growing up the, the, the position that gets the least amount of attention, even though it's, as you get older, it's the most amount is the quarterback. 
because usually you play the position because you've got more ability to to lead to you know uh, move the ball or to be an athlete right to make the coach's life easier and so he's got to focus on the 10 other guys and he goes okay well that i know the kid who's playing quarterback for me he'll be able to handle whatever it is and he'll just get me out of it right and so how do we equip the kid to make their life better if that's the situation right right even when you get to college you start talking about college college quarterbacks quarterback coaches get to spend almost zero time teaching their quarterbacks anything except the playbook there's no technical i mean there's not a ton of technical support there's not a ton of available time to go great we're just going to work on your stroke for the next month you know what i mean we're going to throw the speed out together every day there's none of that right they're the most ignored on the players yeah yeah right they're the most ignored highest profile thing there is in, in in our industry a pitching coach works with the pitchers on on everything from velocity to uh accuracy to who uh pre-game post-game you know training table everything quarterbacks don't get any of that they get they get that some of it don't they i mean a little bit i'm well i mean if if they did guys like me wouldn't have a job guys like jordan palmer or quincy avery or trent dilfer or you know what i mean anybody that's working with guys that are you know they wouldn't have wouldn't have the need for us right because good point these kids would be taken care of but they have to go out and seek it because there's rules on you know there's rules on things that and it's just a it, it's, it's it's a super interesting thing i'm not pointing any fingers at anybody i'm just it's it's a very interesting thing to look at of i mean could you remember you know hearing about a college coach talking to their quarterbacks about you know uh footwork on throwing the out more than just that day at practice right? it's funny you say that cuz so, at, at ASU i had i had Hugh Jackson between my sophomore junior year he became my quarterback coach. And I think this maybe was before the 20 hour work week or any type of like compliant officers standing around, making sure we weren't spending too much time together. Um, we went down and he videotaped me taking three step, five step, seven step drops. I'd go in and watch film on Troy Aikman. He helped me break that down. We break down all my drops. He really turned me from being a kind of a galloping little, you know, wacko coming back on a drop into a pure, drop back tackle where I could really get back there and then process what I had to, but it became consistent. So I feel you, I go watch these kids that have been out to some camps and even getting down in LA working with uh, Justin Herbert and Bryce Perkins and a couple other kids, a kid from mm-hmm. uh, D2, uh, Roland Rivers, you know, I'm looking at their feet and it's just like, wow, they've, been, they've just been such great athletes and, and, and can make things happen. They haven't really been taught what they need to get to the level they're hoping and been dreaming about getting to, which is the NFL. Um, I guess with that being said, I want to ask you, since you mentioned you bounced the ball to Peyton Manning, this might answer that question, but as a quarterback getting a shot in the NFL, your dream coming true, can you take us back there and, and explain, you know, what happened? Why, why did we not know about you 
as a NFL quarterback uh, with Indianapolis? Was there a set of circumstances or lack of reps or numbers game? Or what was it that kept you out of the league? And how, how hard was that when you got your chance and then it didn't come through? How did you mentally overcome that and then be cool with moving on and playing another, another league? Yeah, I think, um, you know, my, just like everybody, everybody's got a, a circumstances to their story, right? Um, I would say lack of knowledge and arrogance are the two. And it's probably one that leads, it's, it's arrogance that leads to lack of knowledge. Uh, it, it kind of was kind of the, the storied, uh, the consistent thing within my story from the time I was in high school where I thought, Hey, I'm top in the state. I was a three sport athlete. I was playing, uh, uh, I was a state competitor in track and in football, uh, all everything, right. basketball. I am just the best athlete. I'm going, you know, I'm going to UCLA. No, I, I met my high school counselor at graduation. So I had no idea what my grades were. I had no idea any of that stuff. None of wow. it matters. My parents had no, they just, you know, I came from, my dad was a pro athlete. I had, he, he goes, I don't know, you'll get a scholarship and then they'll just bring you to school. That's all we knew. And I didn't live in, I lived in the suburbs. I mean, you know what I mean? I was, I was in, you know, the San Francisco Bay area. I wasn't in, you know, uh, the middle of nowhere. You would think that, you know, people would have things set up. And so because of that, I consistently walked through life with, oh, I'm just the best on the team or I'm, they just take care of me. And, and what, what had happened as I get ready for the combine, I get ready for, um, you know, I'm going into my senior year. All of this stuff was all about, oh, they're just going to take care of me as long as I just fall out. And I tie my NFL experience to my college experience of I was the same player. I started four years in college and broke a bunch of records and, you know, cool stuff. And I loved my experience. But I knew I should have been at a bigger school. There wasn't the opportunity to leave San Jose State at the, you know, at the time. I graduated in three years. Um, and so, but I didn't change year in, year out. I was the same player each year. I was just, I had more reps under my belt, right? I think what players are doing now is they're understanding the difference in I have to get better from year one to year two in all these other factors, which is again, back to the, the private quarterback coach world, why you go out and work with, you know, one of these guys is because of that. Cause you have to get better year in, year out. Um, otherwise you're not going to have a shot. And so when I did, I go to get ready for the NFL and I go, great, I'm going to the combine. I'm going to end up top five in every category. I go top five in every category, running, jumping, Right, all of those things. None of that mattered. I was still a six foot one, uh, thick body from San Jose State, right? Um, and and then you go from there, where I'm making decisions on now free agency, where I thought I was, you know, oh, I should have gotten drafted. I, I don't know what's going on. Um, I was top five, you know, what I assumed and what I knew were just different things. And then I choose the Colts in free agency based on. I didn't want to go play with a friend of mine because I thought I was better than him. And the truth is, if I made a business decision, I would have said that here's a, here's a franchise. I had the option to go to Buffalo or Indianapolis at the end. And I chose Indy because I didn't want to go to Buffalo and sit behind Trent Edwards, who I'd grown up with in the same area. And I love Trent to this day. He's one of the nicest people on earth. But I chose, yeah. I, I made the, 
the uneducated uh, response because I'm going to go to Indy. I'm going to knock off Jim Sorge and be the number two in Indy. And Peyton's about to retire. Peyton lasted another 10 years. <laughs> you know, I, I, and and yeah. I had no, and I just had no anything in terms of how am I going to knock off Jim Sorge? I didn't know that the Colts only wanted quarterbacks that looked like Peyton. I didn't know, you know what I mean? That you had to be six foot five, that you, that they, that they wanted, you know, X, Y, and Z in a player knew none of that. I just knew don't go to Buffalo because a kid that you grew up with is over there. And the last thing you want to do is sit behind somebody you think you're better than. Mm. Stupidest decision. I mean, to this day, I, I mean, Trent and I laugh about it because I probably would have played. He got hurt that season. Um, and they, their third started five games. And that was a guy that they selected that, that took that, that offer after me. And it's just a, you know, it's a circumstance of, of letting your ego get in the way of, of what decisions you're trying to make. And I think that ego is, masking you know when you get there now and it's Peyton Manning in front of you and and he's talking to you about things that you have no idea you know he expects you to walk in and know his playbook and every signal and every call when they're running a no huddle and you're going oh my I, I wrote more notes in that first week than I've ever written in my whole life um, but essentially when you got down to it I skip it because that that ego was just masking so much insecurity about my game because my game had been built on, I'm just going to outwork you. And you know, when you get to the NFL, there isn't an outwork you situation. The best players play <laughs> and they're really, really good. Right. Um, that also humbled me majorly. So when I got to the CFL, I, my approach was so different. And I walked into the CFL with such a level of confidence with a different mindset and a much more uh, strategic plan of attack that I played in my second game up there and my first drive with, I had never taken a snap from under center. I was a practice squad guy. I'd been up there for two weeks. I got hurt. They put me in. I go 88 yards and a touchdown, uh, four or five. And I didn't even know, I didn't even know the cadence, you know, a week before. <laughs> wow. Right. Very you got wild. motion and, and CFL's crazy, but but it was it was you you know a much needed slap on the hand in the NFL to help me be successful in the CFL. You just wish that I would have gotten that slap in the hand when I was in college to be successful in the NFL. Right. So long winded version of uh of that story. Well, you know, it's, I think we've all been there with the ego, right? If it's, uh, especially when you're a quarterback and all the things that we have to deal with as a quarterback, the ego can get involved uh, when you can check it and control it. I mean, it's good to have some ego, but when it gets in the way, um, you know, it can create some barriers and, but you can learn from it too. So I can only imagine that you did. And which is going to lead me into this next question before uh, Jake starts throwing some out of the pocket questions at you. Um, Get Nancy. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, but we <laughs> we all know on this call, all three of us, we know that you know playing the position of quarterback is one of the hardest positions in all of sports. 
So from your perspective, what do you think is the hardest part of the position? And I'll share, I'll share with you mine, which might be not that hard to you, but, uh, but from your perspective, what's the hardest part of playing quarterback? Um, I think the hardest part about playing quarterback is, is very similar to the hardest part about running an organization, right? It is balancing all of the needs, wants, desires of all of your teammates, coaches, and whoever is around you with the expectations of at the same time, you need to compete, perform and win at a specific level or a specific rate. I think that's the hardest, the balance of all of it. You see people that are phenomenal. I'm just watching the Michael Vick 30 for 30, right? I could play, <laughs> but he couldn't balance, right? right? You look at Tim Tebow, right. I can win, but I can't, but I'm not the, the perfect passer, right? You, and I, I just think that the balance of all of it is where, you know, you just find it's, it's such a unicorn thing when you find it. And I think right now we're living in the greatest era of quarterbacks because you found people that can really balance it and understand it. Um, yeah. So that, that would be my, my little two cents. I'm looking forward to hearing your guys. What was yours? What's yours, Jake? Man, the hardest part of playing quarterback. I like how you put it there, Adam. Think that, that, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was something that kind of came pretty easy to me to just try to be one of the guys, not the major focus. But when it came down to playing quarterback for me was at the high level when it got really hard was having a coach that would put so many demands on, on you that, you know, you knew how to play, you knew what you could do, but they kept constantly pushing you to evolve on that when, you know, maybe it wasn't the right way to do it instead of just, keeping me a mastery master of my own, uh, you know, moment of where I was, but at year eight, nine, and then into 10, you know, I'd gone this far without knowing that a three technique means the safety's coming down and it's covered three. I was just reading and reacting. So for me, the hard part was when it got so mental that that clock ticking down, I got to remember the play to send him in motion. Oh shit. What was the snap count, Tommy? You know, I had to ask him all the time because <laughs> there was just too much going on mentally. I wanted to just play recess. I wanted to say, get open. Yo, if you come through and you, you're on block, that's too bad for you. I'm going to make you miss and go make a play. So that was the hardest thing for me was the, the mental part that just kept getting more intense as, as Peyton exploited all of us with his mastery of the game and the simplicity of it to make us feel like he was just this like PhD master of football, but we all then started getting that trickle down effect and had to become like him. That was really when it got tough, tough mm. for me. Wow. You know, yeah, for me real quick, you know, I, most of my career, I was, I was a wing T quarterback. I was that guy. I was 6'3", 210, 215 pounds playing, doing wing T. And there's a part of me that wants to say rolling out since I'm a right-hander rolling out to my left would be hard, but no, um, running option and getting ripped by a defensive end that's, you know, 255 pounds um, running the option. But for me, actually, as I got into more of my career and I got into the, uh, the, the West Coast offense, it got so intricate as far as calling a play. It, was, it took me like 40 seconds to, like, to rip out a play 
So for me, there was so much stress to remember all the plays. Because if I don't remember the play and I don't say it right, then everybody's screwed. And you know, just a few weeks ago, Jake and I had uh, Jeep Christ on our show, and he was bringing, he was reminiscing with Jake on the show about a particular play. And it, it, he said this play, and it, I, I got like, I got a little nervous. I'm like, oh, that brought back some memories, just because, <laughs> because it, it, for me, there was a lot of stress just to remember all these long plays. I was the West Coast. You, that's what Mark Transman said. I said, why do we call it this, Coach? Why do we call it Blanker Drive, Mark? He said, well, because Bill Walsh called it that. I said, all right, that's cool with me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we all have our thing, you know? Oh, I totally, I mean, I remember, yeah, that same, that same, I mean, the first time that I had two plays given to me at one time, Oh my God, right? I mean, yeah. I have nightmares about Peyton going, okay, great. Here it comes. Dice right, two jet, 44 white curl alert. And then he had, but he had every possible zone run tied into the alert. And you're going, Ooh. Okay, so which one do you want me to do? And he goes, well, based on, based on the front you're getting and the coverage you're getting, you'll call the right one. Will I? <laughs> <laughs> right? That was my head. Yeah. I was like, will I? I don't know. I, yeah. I, was, I, was, you know. I came from the world of just run the zone to the shade and, and call it a day. Right. I call that the Peyton Manning effect, man. That dude came and made the game a lot more intricate and it's trickled down. And uh, part of the reason I'm involved with what we got going on with our playbook teaching too is to try to help these kids learn this high level of that trickle down to like 10 year olds having double reads, calling double plays. And, you know, we could go on for hours about all that. But before we close the show, I have to, I got to get out of this pocket, man. I'm just like going through my reads. I'm only like eight for 12 right now. I'm doing okay, but I got to get out and swing one, sing a few at you here. Adam, and these are quick answers, yes or no, or even just answer the, the topic when I'm asking. i got four of them for you real quick. I'm going to start with this. You're a busy man. You're obviously doing big things. You're, you're an overachiever. You're quarterbacking a lot of stuff, running the show. When you come home, it feels so good, right, to see your kids. There's nothing better than those kids. Is it Legos first or is it Frozen first? Which one are you going to? Oh, I'm Frozen all day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let it go, baby. My older, my da- my it. daughter's the older, so we're we're doing whatever she she runs the show. She's gonna be the CEO of something someday. <laughs> so she's telling me, awesome. and it's actually Joe JoJo Siwa is is right now the the hit. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're in the same boat, man. My kids, are, my one kid, what, thinks he's gonna marry JoJo Siwa, my six year old. So I'm right there with <laughs> you, man. <laughs> okay, that's pretty okay, good. On to the next one. Will you watch any of the combines? I will watch the combine because this year I've got uh, a kid competing in it that I worked with when he was in cool. fifth grade. Oh, sweet. Wow. Who is it? What position? Kevin Davidson, uh, quarterback from Princeton, who was overlooked, never re- didn't re- get recruited really high, six foot five, 230 pound uh, QB wow. with a huge arm, just wow. kind of been overlooked this entire time. Um, a lot of teams really, really love him. Um, just an awesome kid. So never quit. Always, always just said, I, I believe in myself. I'm just going to keep working. And, and we never stopped working and, um, super pumped for that kid right now. And then I got the kid from Oklahoma state coming out this year. 
not going to be at the combine, but he is going to be at uh, pro day is Drew Brown. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And how fun to be a coach like that, to see these kids that close to their dreams. I wish them both the best because I won't probably watch much of the combine. I'm going to watch a little bit what's going on the radio, but uh, yeah, good luck to those kids. Two more real quick. And if you say frozen to this next one, then I'm going to understand that you, you're, you're shuffling your kids around way too much. What are you jamming in the car right now? Any, any good tunes? Anything you're vibing? Oh, no. Uh, right now, honestly, is my wife and I just went to New York and we got to see Hamilton. And so we came back and we played uh-huh. it for the kids and they won't turn it off. <laughs> nice. So it's, Ham- <laughs> it's, it's Hamilton every morning on the way to school. I love it. Uh, I love it. That was like when we had Moana. I listened to Moana for like a month and a half straight this summer. It's like, but it was a good soundtrack. So I was cool with that. Last one. Yeah. Last one is, is Bilicic, is he a robot? You mentioned him earlier in AI. And I was, is, is he that AI robot coach? Is he really like you tore his face off? He just had a metal face. Is he a robot? <laughs> no, I think he is the ultimate understanding of personality and fit he's like the best strength finder right there is and he doesn't see like an engineer doesn't see anything but ones and zeros that's how he works so a little bit man i love it but great engineer that's probably a better way put guys in a position to succeed and you will win games as he's proven it that's all I got for out of the pocket, man. I'm going to throw it to Grant to close this thing out. It's been a pleasure, Adam. Yeah, Adam, man, this is this has been great, man. I, uh, this is one of the things I love about this show is when we get three quarterbacks talking about just our mindset and our experiences and our journeys, man. It's just uh, it's it's I know Jake and I love it. So we want to want to thank you so much for sharing your journey and your thoughts on on things and showing your you know sharing your passion on for Frozen and and all that good stuff. So uh, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I, I mean, anytime, anytime that I have the opportunity to talk to people that are are looking for ways to promote sport and promote, you know, the, the great aspects of, of what it does for all levels of people. Um, and I think talking about the mindset is just an awesome thing. So uh, I'm 100% behind it. So thank you for having me. You bet. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate it, man. Good luck with all you're doing, man.